now, America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA, from Alaska to Florida, all the way to Hawaii, about 294 affiliates now. Thanks to all of you in the listening audience. My producer, Ms. Darren Wilhite. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. This is your show, America. As I said, thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened to talk shows throughout the United States. If you want to follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, you can do that at AHA Radio, AHA Radio Show. That's how you follow me. If you have questions or comments, you can also go to the website, healthradio.us, healthradio.us. Send me an email if you've got a question or something I can help you with. I'm happy to do it. Um, I get a lot of emails, but I answer each and every one of them, so feel free to do that. All right, joining me in studio after a bit of a hiatus, Matt Doherty from Life Flight Eagle. Glad to have you back. Great to see you again. It's good to have you back up here. Also joining us today uh, for our show is a gentleman by the name of Jay Fabbing. Jay is a patient that was flown by Life Flight Eagle, and Jay jumps out of helicopters. And this is a show, that, excuse me, not helicopters, airplanes. And this is a show that I don't think I've ever done before, Matt. I, we've done a lot of shows over the last 15 years, but we've never done a show about somebody jumping out of an airplane. Jay is the first time, the first person I've met who's expressed a desire to jump out of a helicopter which too, he did so. just before we went on the air yeah <laughs> yeah and also joining us uh, is josh lighting he is the flight nurse when they flew uh, jay after he had an accident when he uh, when he parachuted out of the plane and we're going to talk about that day and what happened and his flight nurse josh lighting is also joining us so matt why don't you kind of set the stage here and tell people what happened because this is a little unusual it is a little bit unusual, and it certainly caught my eye when Jay sent us a real nice note after uh, after his flight and and uh, while he was during his recovery to tell us uh, how much he appreciated our our crews and what they had done for him. Uh, but a pretty remarkable story, and I think you will enjoy hearing his experience. Uh, I know he won't probably enjoy reliving some of that uh, pain and trauma, um, but it really is a, a good testament to um, when all the systems work together. Um, how they came to uh, came together to save his leg and um, make him to the point where he's going to be able to jump again before too long. Oh, he hasn't done that in a while, though. He said so. Jay, let's just, so talk a little bit about what you do. You've jumped, done parachute jumps about twenty five hundred times. So before we get to the actual story, talk a little bit about your. I guess this is a hobby that you do. Uh, yeah, you, know, you don't do it for a living, obviously. No, I mean I have worked as a videographer at the drop zone, but no, it's it's for fun mostly. So, and so, talk a little bit about what you do. You you're in a club. You guys go up and fly, and then how does all that work? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not actually a club. It's just a business. Uh, my home drop zone is Skydive Kansas City in Butler, Missouri, and we've got a group of thirty to forty active, uh, experienced jumpers. So we just meet out there generally Saturday and Sundays and organize jumps ourselves and jump all day you know i'll make five or six jumps a day maybe on a good day from what height and you go up what kind of an airplane and how does all this work we jump out of a king air and we exit from fourteen thousand feet sometimes fourteen and a half okay so on this particular day this Mm -hmm. was what a saturday or something yeah it was a saturday okay you you were you were going up for your first second third fourth jump what was it it was my first jump of the day okay yeah Uh, it was me and uh five of my friends We, we did a six way okay and so what happened well, the jump went fine, you know, the free fall part. And then uh, after my parachute opened, it opened fine. I'm flying back to the drop zone. And I kind of uh, put myself in a bad situation by messing around and not heading on my downwind leg towards the landing area soon enough. So I was kind of short coming back to the drop zone. And I made a terrible error of, you know, I just kind of tunnel visioned on getting to the landing zone, which is what you shouldn't do. And I was trying to get as close as I could because it was a hot day and I didn't want to walk, ironically. 
And so when you turn a parachute, it, it also dives. Okay. And so I made my turn to try to get back into the wind too late. The parachute dove, and when I flared to stop the parachute, I was just a little bit too low. And? And, and I impacted. Obviously took all the energy on my left leg. Broke my fibula, dislocated the foot, basically tore all the tendons and ligaments is what I was told. And then the worst part was the tibia came through the skin on the right side. So I had an open bone wound. Yeah, when I read this, he landed too fast, shattering his fibia, driving the tibia through the skin and into the ground. Yeah, that's a good description. And wrecking his ankle and tendons. Josh, this sounds pretty bad. Uh, yeah, it was definitely pretty bad. Uh, we were worried about uh, the amount of bleeding he had. Uh, it did require a tourniquet. Uh, we weren't able to control the bleeding with just pressure alone, so the additional uh, tourniquet was required. We did have to stabilize uh, the leg for the flight, um, but that was, you know, having a 23-minute air flight versus over an hour ground bumpy ambulance. Uh, I think that's a big contribution to why his uh, he was able to save his leg. So, Josh, who, who, obviously you guys weren't the first on the scene. So the local paramedics, EMS, were the first folks on the mm-hmm. scene? Yep. And yep. then they saw the situation and said, we can't handle this? Is that basically what happened? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that's when they summons for us. And then uh, we come and, uh, you know, we're uh, our benefit is our speed. You know, we come, we get to the scene as quick as we can. We try to, you know, wrap them up, package them prepared for flight and then uh, we get into the hospital as quick as we can and i'm guessing is probably you probably don't get a lot of parachute calls on a daily basis no not on a daily (laughs) was this was this a first this is my first but my partner that i was on shift with that day that was not her first oh really so this has happened before yeah okay all right so jay this sounds like it so you know is this something that you know in your club you've got you you said like 30 members is this does this happen on a Frequent basis or a reasonable or not, or it's very un- unusual. It's unusual. Uh, unfortunately, we've had three life life lights uh, in the last three years. So, and in the last three years, we've had one a year. But before that, you know, it might have been five or six years before life light had been out there. I'm not sure. So, it's fairly unusual. Out of my 2,500 jumps, this is the first injury I've ever had of any kind. Well, that's pretty pretty remarkable. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so, so Matt, it sounds to me like that if you're in a parachute club. You're getting a Life Flight Eagle membership might be a really good thing to do. Am I, am I, am I'm a little biased, I, but I think everybody should have one. But yeah, yes, I think I, definitely. I, I, if you, I, would, if you're, I would say the priority list goes up if you're jumping out of airplanes. Absolutely. Anybody who's jumping out of airplanes or doing ATVs and dirt bikes and stuff like that, those high-risk activities, would I would absolutely recommend a membership. Yeah, as, I, as I think back on the shows we've done over all the years, we've done a lot of uh, shows with people that uh, are, are on ATVs and, and dirt bikes and motorcycles, and this is the first one we've done with people jumping out of airplanes. Indeed. Yeah. So, so Jay, I'm guessing that you were conscious during all this, even though after you'd hit the ground. Correct. Okay, and the local paramedics showed up, and they tried to, what, stabilize you at that point, and then Josh gets there and finds out the bleeding hasn't stopped. So what were, what were you going through when this when you initially had the break? This had to be extremely painful, very difficult to deal with. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, I had my skydiving friends. They were all there to help me. So I just had uh, one person holding each hand, which uh, made a big difference, you know, just to keep your head in the right space to get through that. But, uh, I mean, I don't know how long it was, 15 minutes before the local ambulance got there and so they minutes uh, before the ambulance got there probably you know i'm not really sure it's all a little bit fuzzy but probably maybe 10 minutes i, I don't know it, okay. might not, it might not have been that long 
And then for Lifefly Eagle to get there, Matt, you guys probably got there what? I think it was about another 10 minutes after the ambulance. Uh, we actually got called and launched to the flight before ground EMS got there. Okay. Uh, their dispatch called us just based on the description of a skydiving accident and launched us to head that direction just in case. So so they, so they, they, they knew that this was not going to be a, a walk in the park on this particular deal. It's just like a head-on car accident or a rollover car accident, just the mechanism of injury. There's a good chance that somebody's not going to be doing very well. So, Josh, what did you think when you first rolled up on this? When you guys get, you know, you land the helicopter, you're looking at the scene. It must look pretty grim when you first rolled up. Well, he was doing very good, actually, when we got into the back of the ambulance as far as, like, uh, him talking to us. And he was alert, oriented. So that's always a very positive thing is when they're able to talk to us. All right. Well, we come back to the break. We're going to continue the story. Now we'll talk about what happened after he got into the helicopter and was taken to a level one trauma center at Research Medical Center. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network. Stay tuned. We've got more. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the Fruited Plain here on the HIA Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website healthradio.us, healthradio.us. I'm your host, Kerry Hall, my producer, Mr. Darren Wilhite, in studio with me, Matt Doherty from Life Flight Eagle, Jay Fabbing, a skydiver and patient who was transported by Life Flight Eagle after a pretty significant uh, accident when he was doing one of his parachute runs, and Josh Lighting, who was the flight nurse on that particular run, that particular ambulance run that they did when they brought uh, Jay into Research Medical Center, Level One Trauma Center. You know, we we made a little joke that you know earlier in the earlier segment that if you if you are you know uh, somebody that does skydiving, parachuting, you probably ought to get a Life Flight Eagle membership card. Well, I would strongly suggest that everybody might want to take a look at that. Uh, because it makes a lot of sense. I've had one for, I think, 16 years now. The website is lifeflighteagle.org, lifeflighteagle.org. The phone number, 888-601-4913, 888-601-4913. You don't normally get a letter in the mail the day something like this happens. So what we always tell people is it's better to be prepared, um, and you don't want to be facing the cost of an air ambulance if, if it's not covered by your insurance, or even if it is covered, You've got deductible co-insurance and all these other issues. If you have a membership, it's covered 100%. You don't have any responsibility for anything. Matt, what's the cost per year now? $59 a year. It still hasn't changed. It has not changed years. and no no plans to change it. And that's point. not for each individual. That's for the whole family. Okay, so if you've got a Life Flight Eagle membership, that $59 covers, covers everything. Once again, the website is lifeflighteagle.org. All right, so so Jay, you're in. You're now in the helicopter. What do you remember about you know from the time that Josh got there with his crew and they started stabilizing you to when they put you in that helicopter? There's a particular point in the narrative here that I read. I'll come back to that in a second. But what do you remember? It's kind of fuzzy. I'm pretty sure they put me in the ambulance first, right? And then they they drove me to the helicopter. Yeah, to the helicopter, which was maybe a couple hundred feet away. Okay. And by that time, I think I had had some pain meds. So, because you mentioned in here, thank God you got the fentanyl finally. Hey, right, <laughs> right. Uh, I can't even imagine the level of pain. No, you can't. It's, it was no, I it was, can't. It was I horrific. Think, I yeah. cannot. Yeah. I've, I've had kidney stones four times, and those are painful, but nothing like an open no, bone. Nothing compares to what this was like. Nothing like it. All right. So, Josh, you get him in the helicopter. What are you doing now to stabilize him? You talked about he was bleeding. Did you put him in a splint? 
how did you stabilize that leg? Uh, it, it had pushed through the skin. This had to be pretty gruesome. How did you treat that as you're flying him now to Research Medical Center? Fortunately, the ground crew had done a great job of getting everything ready. They had uh, had his leg. Uh, we had to use blankets and pillows, basically, to stabilize it. Um, you know, our commercial style for that type of injury uh, were not indicated. So we had it secured the best we could just so that when we go to the movement from the cot, ambulance cot to our cot, it was less painful and it's not moving the leg around. So we just want to make sure that it's as stable as it can be. Um, there's obviously some deformities, uh, the bone sticking out, like he said, uh, a lot of bleeding. So we did put a tourniquet on it. We tried to do all that before we get on the aircraft. Uh, it's kind of hard to reach the you know, the front where his leg would be. Um, so we had that all ready before we even got onto the helicopter. During flight, we gave him some pain medicine. Uh, I believe we gave some fluids, uh, keep his blood pressure stable to kind of help counter some of the bleeding. But he did great. He was, you know, smiling the whole time, all things considered. <laughs> if he was smiling, that's pretty remarkable. I think it was the pain meds that he was yeah, smiling I about. Probably, but... <laughs> I think it probably had something to do with it if I had to guess. Yeah. But yeah, he was definitely, you know, joking with us and talking and, um, you know, it was a very pleasant interaction for the whole flight. So, you know, he's in the helicopter now. Now, I know you're talking to research, telling them what's happening. How does all that work, and what are you relaying to the doctors at research that they're getting ready to receive him as a patient with this traumatic injury? Yeah, so we give them a phone call or over the radio um, that we're on our way. We'll give them a brief uh, patient rundown of what's going on, the kind of injuries that we had, um, what kind of interventions we've had to do in flight, uh, current vital signs. And so they're prepared when we get there. And we always try to warn the patients when we arrive that there's going to be a big team of, basically it's a trauma team, and uh, everybody that's involved in the trauma team in the hospital, they're very good about uh, when we get there. They are very direct with their questions. Um, sometimes the patients get a little overwhelmed because they're experiencing this you know, life-threatening trauma, and so uh, now they're getting bombarded with questions. Uh, so they do a great job of uh, you know, getting down to the point. Um, assessing the injuries immediately. Uh, they look at what we've done. Uh, they look to see if there's anything else that needs to do. And I believe they took him pretty much right to surgery as soon as we got there. So that's what I was going to ask you, Jay. When you got there, do you remember immediately into surgery or very shortly after you arrived into the surgery center at, the, at research? Well, they, they, uh, they wheeled me into trauma. And like Josh said, it seemed like 100 people. But taking I'm sure in it there probably and, did. And it was just a flurry of activity. But they... Put me under, and then they didn't do surgery right away. They relocated my ankle, and and clean, and they had they had to clean it right away. I think that's what their main concern was when I first came in, because there was grass and mud and stuff still, you know, down inside my leg. So that seemed like they were mainly concerned about. So they gave me ketamine, and then did all that procedure, and then later that evening, I actually had the surgery. So you didn't get surgery until later in the evening. Correct. Okay, and how long did the surgery last? I, I'm not really sure. Well, maybe it wasn't maybe, quick. Yeah. They reset the leg, and what what did they do? They put pins in your leg. How, how are you doing now? How did that all work out? Well, I have a plate and eight screws in my fibula, and that's it. On the right side where the bone came through, I had an open wound there for a long time, a couple months, so that was kind of tough to deal with, and that was the most dangerous part where the infection could come in. But I went to a wound healing center in Olathe, and I would go there twice a week and then at the end once a week. And they did a great job. And finally, that hole closed up and healed. Yeah, you, you walked up the stairs here, walked in the studio. Amazing. You, yeah, you didn't look like anything at all. How long did it take for you to get back to the state you're in today, basically? 
I was walking in uh, three months. So I think it's been about three weeks ago. I, I was walking without a cane, I should say. Okay. You know, immediately I was walking with crutches and then I dropped one of the crutches and I was just with one crutch and a boot and I took the boot off and then I went to a cane. And so for the last three story. weeks I've been walking without a cane. <clears throat> yeah, pretty amazing story. Uh, Matt, we've done a number of these. So when we come back to the break, we'll talk a little more about it. But before we go on, anything you want to say to the folks? Well, I, I think this is just a testament to the to the collaboration and coordination uh, in the EMS services. The ground ambulance folks did a great job of coming out and getting that getting you stabilized while we were on our way. Uh, the 911 dispatchers um, had already called us and got us heading that way before they were ever, uh, before the ground crews were already there. And then that coordination of our team um, talking with the hospital so that as soon as we were skids down on the helipad at the hospital, that trauma team is out there uh, already knowing exactly what needs to be done and all that kind of stuff, ready to take care of you, uh, is a speed and coordination that uh, takes a lot of practice and a lot of work. And it's really a testament to all of everyone who's involved. In yeah, that and care. it's a testament to the fact that he walked in here and you never know he had Absolutely. an injury. Yep. And that has a lot to do with the fact of what Josh and his crew did and, and how quickly they got him to research. And the great work they did at research, because we've had Many people on here that have gone through that trauma center research, and that's made a big difference for a lot of folks. Job. <clears throat> they do. Once again, on the website, if you want to get a membership of $59 a year for the whole family, lifeflighteagle.org, lifeflighteagle.org. The phone number 888-601-4913, 888-601-4913. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIA Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website healthradio.us, healthradio.us. Also, all the shows are posted on all those podcast platforms that I talked about in the opening of the show. So um, if you want to tell somebody about a show or go back up or you miss one, go up on the podcast platforms. We're up there every week. Every show is posted up there. And they're titled, so you know what they are. My producer, the always perfect Mr. Darren Wilhite. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. In studio with me, Matt Doherty from Life Flight Eagle. Jay Fabbing, a patient and skydiver who was flown by Life Flight Eagle after a pretty significant accident uh, when he was parachuting. And Josh Lighting, who is a flight nurse uh, for Life Flight Eagle. If you want information on membership, it's $59 a year. That's not per person. That's for the whole family. Okay, I've had one of these... Life Flight Eagle memberships for the last 16 years. Thank God I've never had to use it, but I've got it. Um, $59 for the whole family. LifeFlightEagle.org is the website. The phone number is 888-601-4913. Once again, the website. You can sign up right there on the website. LifeFlightEagle.org is the website, so it's up there. So there's a lot of movement, Matt, um, <clears throat> in the air ambulance business all of a sudden. You know, we're, we, we've seen some changes happening out there. Uh, especially with the Life Flight Eagle is a not-for-profit. You know, one of the things that we say about Life Flight Eagle is you're here for the patients, not here for profit. Um, that's not the case with a lot of the big national air ambulance operators. They're nationally traded on, you know, on the Wall Street exchange and et cetera. But what's happening right now in this big transition? There have been a lot of changes in the industry. Uh, a lot of them have been sparked by 
um, some legislation that's come through. But you're right. Most of the air ambulance industry um, are private for-profit um, companies. And there's nothing – I certainly don't have anything against – um, profitability, you know, I'm a capitalist at heart, but it does become a little bit challenging when you're talking about emergency services and uh, when patients don't have a choice who who's coming to pick them up and some things like that. Um, so there's a little bit of a uh, they do a great job of taking care of patients, but there's a little bit of a difference in why they why they do what they do. And uh, with some legislation that's happening at the federal level, um, it is making it more difficult for those big companies to turn profits. So you're um, talking about the No Surprises Act. The No Surprises right? yeah. Act. So yeah. the, what the No Surprises Act does is it requires that uh, air ambulance companies and insurance companies get together through a process of arbitration to figure out how much should should be paid uh, for that air ambulance. And what that means is that in the past, um, whatever insurance paid was great, uh, and then those companies would come after the patients for uh, balance the billing. balance. Balance billing. Yeah. And what the No Surprises Act does is uh, prohibits the balance billing. It forces the patient and the insurance, I'm sorry, excuse me, it forces the air ambulance company and the insurance company to come together and to agree on an amount or to go through arbitration to define the amount, taking the patient out of the middle. And so as a result of not being able to um, receive that balance billing uh, money, it makes a big difference in the profitability of those companies. And so we're seeing a little bit of right-sizing in the industry as far as um, bases closing across the country. Uh, recently, uh, one company closed 18 bases, including one in St. Joseph, Missouri. And so um, there has been a lot of concern. Uh, we've had a lot of people call from the community uh, wanting to know what's going to happen. Um, are we closing? Any of those kinds of things. And and my response to that is always, we've been here since 1978. Uh, we're a nonprofit organization. We're, we're here to stay. We're not going anywhere. This is our community uh, and we'll be here to serve the community. So uh, because of that different structure and that we're not trying to return double digit profits to private equity companies or uh, things like that, uh, we're in a much better position uh, we, we still have to still charge. It's it's still more expensive than what I would like for it to be. But when you when your focus is on doing the right things for the patients and not driving profitability, uh, it means that you're much more sustainable as an organization. And that has always been the mission. I mean, I you know from uh, you know from the days when Chris was here, you know when we first started doing these shows and and talking about this and you know Roxanne and you and and back in the day when Steve Sanborn was here and. and the, it, the focus has always been on the community. We'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute or so, but that's that's a big difference from the way that Lifelight Eagle has always operated um, versus how the for-profits operate. And as you said, look, there's nothing wrong with making a profit, but we're talking about two different models here. This model is specifically set up to serve the community and has served it exceptionally well uh, since 1979? 1978. 78, yeah. okay. And Lifelight Eagle uh, has always been very... Um, very deliberate in terms of our decision-making processes and things like that because, again, one of our biggest values and, and biggest commitments is that commitment to the community and that we're not going to open a base somewhere uh, and then later on have to close it because that isn't the right place for a helicopter to be or there's not enough flight volume to sustain operations at that uh, type of a place. So we're very, uh, very deliberate in what we do. So we've, we've been asked, you know, will you, will you put a helicopter up in St. Joseph's to replace that one? And our response is, we have helicopters that are in range of, of St. Joseph. And so we're helping those communities up there um, from our bases in Chillicothe and in Odessa um, to, to go over and serve those patients from that area. Yeah. And t- talk a little bit about that, because, you know, I've, I've been to those openings when those bases were initially opened and you had the grand openings. Um, 
you know, in Odessa, you know, the involvement with the community, you know, who came in and in some cases land was donated and, and funds were raised in the community. It was put in place to serve the community, which is a totally different model than what we're talking about on the for-profit side. Yes. We've been very blessed to have a lot of community support. Um, our bases being uh, built by um, landowners in the community who uh, were affected by us in some way and wanted us uh, to have a base in their community and, and donated the land uh, for us to build a base or cities recognizing the benefit that we have to their community and um, working with us to partner and build a base in the community. Um, we've been very, very blessed with the, with the support. We see it really as a community partnership rather than as a business opportunity uh, where we want to take advantage of a situation is very, very collaborative with the local community. Yeah, I remember going up to the Chillicothe Grand Opening, and I, I remember getting up there, and I got up there about an hour before the event actually started, and there had to be at least 200, 250 cars in the parking lot. And by the time we got inside and actually got the thing going, the place was packed. We had over 600 people at the open that, house. That, okay, it, so it, was, it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, it was, I, was, was like, I was standing with Chris and, I, and Roxanne, and I was going, I'm looking around going, this is remarkable. But it, it talks about the value of what Life Flight Eagle brings to these rural communities and why that connection, as with Jay, is so important. At 23 minutes for Josh to get him from the accident site to Research Medical Center and be able to stabilize him and do what needs to be done versus bouncing around in an ambulance for an hour, hour and 20 minutes to get there, depending on you know if there's traffic or other issues to deal with, yes. I do a lot of presentations out in the community, and it's very rare um, that I don't. Uh, one of the first questions is, have you ever been flown? Uh, and more often than not, I see a hand <clears> raised. Um, but almost every, in almost every case, someone knows someone who's been affected or had to, had to be flown, whether that be uh, with a car accident or a heart attack or a stroke or some sort of other critical illness. Um, the air ambulances and, and what Life Flight Eagle does uh, is so important to the community and improving outcomes, improving survival um, and improving outcomes, and everybody recognizes uh, and, and knows someone who's been touched um, by our organization, and so that community support and goodwill is is tremendous uh, for us. Yeah, so let, let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about this because I, I, I think you mentioned off air that Josh's wife is out doing a community training today. One of the things that you guys do very, very effectively, not it's not his wife, his partner on the aircraft. Part- that day. I, well, the, the, I was the flight paramedic. Okay. Well, you, just got, you just got married and didn't even know it. Okay, so there, how do you like that? You're going to start so, causing problems so, at home. Yeah, right? yeah, okay. yeah. So one of the things that you guys do that is critically important is is training of rural fire departments, rural first responders, EMS, etc., giving them tools that they typically don't have. So talk a little bit about that. Sure. One of our one of our core missions, um, aside from transporting patients, which has always been our primary mission, but is to serve the community by providing training and education for local fire departments, EMS, uh, ambulance companies, um, hospitals, and things like that. Uh, so we do a lot of we do over a hundred training classes a year, several thousand hours of instruction uh, for these departments, and in some cases that is to help them keep and maintain their licenses because it's really easy for training budgets to get cut. It's expensive to offer those classes, and so we do them for either free or very low cost um, to offer those classes, and it really helps those those agencies and their personnel um, keep their licenses as well as teaching new techniques, um, refreshing on techniques. Uh, we do a lot of classes when an ambulance company gets uh, new equipment. Uh, we help them uh, put into place some training programs to help them learn how to use that equipment. And that is really for the purpose of whether we ever end up 
transporting a patient uh, that, that they have or not, it helps put them in a better position to serve the patients in their community so that they can drive better outcomes. Well, and also, just like in Jay's case, you know, the coordination between that local ambulance service and Josh's flight crew to get the helicopter there and then get him to research was a big piece of why that worked and worked so well. So we come back from the break. Uh, we're going to continue discussion uh, with the folks at Life Flight Eagle here about we're going to talk a little bit more to, with Josh about what does it take to become a flight nurse on, a, on an air ambulance? This will be a very interesting conversation. Stay tuned. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate broadcasting here on the HI radio network, coast to coast across the USA. The website, if you want membership, lifeflighteagle.org, lifeflighteagle.org, the phone number 888 601 4913. That's 888-601-4913. $59 a year covers the whole family. Stay tuned. We've got more. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIE Radio Network. Remember that all these shows are on podcast platforms, Google, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Pandora, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Post it up there each and every week. So if you miss one, you want to tell somebody about one, you can go up on those podcast platforms and listen to them. My producer, Mr. Darren Wilhite. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. In studio with me, Matt Doherty from Lifeflight Eagle, Jay Fabbing, who is a patient and skydiver flown by Lifeflight Eagle after a pretty significant accident, and Josh Lighting, who was the flight nurse who happened to be on that flight, stabilized him and got him to Research Medical Center, a level one trauma center. The website, if you are looking for membership, lifeflighteagle.org, $59 a year. That is for the whole family. That's not just for one person. That's $59 a year for the whole family, lifeflighteagle.org. The phone number, 1-888-601-4913, 1-888-601-4913. So, Josh, first of all, you were an ICU nurse and did some ER work as well. What made you decide you wanted to go jump on a helicopter and be a flight nurse? This is a little different deal. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely uh, a bit of thrill on our end, too, just as a skydiver would want to do, you know, jumping on a helicopter and, you know, flying to, you know, land anywhere, uh, really. We shut down highways, land on highways, we'll land in farmer's fields, we'll land at an airport. Um, we do a lot of hospital-hospital transports. Um, but all of that just sounded like a lot of fun. Uh, the high level of care uh, that's required, uh, I think that there's a drive that all of our crew, our, all of our flight crew, uh, we just we strive to you know, be high level, work in high level situations and uh, be the best that we do. So um, I think that's pretty so much what are the qualifications? You just can't walk. You get out of nursing school, walk onto a life flight. You go and say, hi, I want to be an air, I want to be a nurse on an air ambulance. There's, there's a process. Talk about the training because I know yeah. I know the answer to this, but I want you to tell the audience what it takes to get there. Yeah, so we have to have at least five years of uh, high volume, high level critical care or emergency room. It can be mixed. Um and that's even the, our uh, paramedics, same thing. They have to be on a high-level uh, ground ambulance before they come onto the aircraft. So we bring a lot of years of experience between the two of us. Um, and so we have a lot of trauma certifications, a lot of advanced life support certifications, and we have to maintain those throughout the year. Um, so there's just a lot of training that we keep up with just on a, on a regular, but we had to have all of that prior to even stepping foot on the helicopter. Yeah, so, you know, Matt, he... he Josh described that as he thought it would be a lot of fun. Um, that's a unique definition of fun. I don't know. If, I 
don't, I don't know the what they do. I would consider to be fun. Okay. But you know what? They're so good at what they do. And yeah. you talk about uh, a staff of people uh, who are type A personalities and extremely competitive. And I say extremely competitive because it's almost like the challenge to them is not today. You're not going to die today. We're going to take care of you. And um, you're you're in the best hands because you're in my hands. And that's kind of how our crews uh, approach it. And they uh, they do a fantastic job. Of, of working on the patients and taking care of them, uh, working together, uh, working in partnership with the ground, the folks on the ground or the folks at the referring hospital uh, to get them stabilized and then taking care of them in the air and then getting them uh, to the hospital and that handoff. Uh, it's really a, a, a challenge for them. And I'm so proud to, to work with and support uh, this, this team of people. It's amazing. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We've done some of these shows we've done over the years. I remember one in particular where a young man took a motorcycle over a hill and I'm thinking it was in excess of 90 miles an hour, head on into a pickup truck, um, wound up losing a leg, but would have died. And I forget how many pints of blood. It was something It was amazing. Things. How how many? I don't remember. But it, it was, was a somewhere lot. between 18 and 20 some pints of blood. That it were, was even more than that. Yeah. yeah, but but time it was all over with. I mean, just to get him, keep him alive, and get him to. Um, Again, it was Research Medical Center. In fact, we actually had the doctor on that saved his life in the in the ER that did the surgery. So when you talk about competitive and you're not going to die today on our helicopter, uh, that's pretty serious. They, these folks are consummate professionals at what they do um, and are responsible. For instance, JK, here he is today walking completely normal uh, because of what they were able to do to stabilize him and get him to research. Yeah, they do. They do a fantastic job. And, you know, Josh talked a little bit about the training, uh, but it's not only the, the, the training and the learning never stops. They're not done uh, once they've been hired. You know, they have to go through ground school for an extended period of time before they're able to get on the helicopter. And then even uh, during the year, ongoing, doesn't matter whether you've been a flight nurse for a year, you've been a flight nurse for 25 years. Uh, they're constantly going through training, uh, refreshing skills, learning new skills, learning new equipment, things like that, because they never know what they're going to see. They're, are they going to be landing on the side of a highway for uh, a baby that was in a car accident? Uh, are they going to be taking care of somebody who's just had a heart attack? Uh, is it going to be somebody in a, in a field who fell out of a deer stand and got hurt? Um, it could be anything uh, that they could be going after. And so they have to be prepared uh, on a moment's notice uh, with total confidence that they have the ability to take care of that condition. And yeah, that and that, that training shows uh, in the results of, of what they're able to accomplish when they make these flights and, and move these patients from one point to another. So let's change uh, gears here a little bit. We talked about the training and some of the stuff that goes on. So you're in the process of building uh, training and simulation rooms in Odessa, raising, what, about $20,000. How far along in the process is that, and where is that at? We're just getting started. Um, so you've been out to our Odessa base, oh, yeah. and, and we had some folks at our, at our open house recently uh, who got to see that. But we have a loft area. Um, the, the hangar is a, is a big metal building. Right. Um, and then the crew quarters, the, the bedrooms and kitchen and all that kind of stuff uh, is on a lower level. But then we have a loft above that that's just been kind of an unfinished area. They did some workout stuff up there. But we're in the process of... Uh, we're going to finish that area out uh, so that they can still have their workout room, but we're going to finish a couple of rooms uh, specifically for use in our crews uh, training and for simulations, um, uh, an area where we can uh, kind of build a mock uh, mock ER or a mock ambulance to practice. Again, practice makes perfect um, to practice those situations and uh, uh, during during training, during annual simulations, during annual invasive 
um, all that kind of stuff. So those those rooms will be a really good asset uh, for our internal training staff. And we've got one other thing before we wrap it up here, and that is you have Giving Tuesday coming up. Talk a little bit about that. We do have Giving Tuesday. That's something I would uh, ask and encourage everybody. Giving Tuesday is the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. Um, so we have, you know, you have Black Friday and then you have Cyber Monday and everybody's uh, spun up and, and buying their Christmas gifts and, and all that kind of stuff. Giving Tuesday is, is a day that's become a big deal nationally. It's where people can kind of reflect and take the opportunity to identify a nonprofit organization and to make uh, make donations to help support that nonprofit organization on Giving Tuesday. So I would just invite everybody to consider making a donation to Life Flight Eagle. You can do that on lifelighteagle.org uh, or by calling the phone number 888-601-4913. And that can be a one-time donation. You can do monthly donations. Uh, we even, uh, even have the ability to donate stock right now. Uh, so there's a lot of neat things uh, that you can do to help support our mission as a nonprofit organization. Well, once again, thanks. Good to have you back up here. Thank you for coming in, Jay. Thank you, Josh, for taking time out of your day to be here. We really appreciate it. It was a great story. You know, they are committed to this community. We're lucky to have them. Uh, you know, if we were relying on one of the for-profit services and they pulled out of the community, where would you be? So Life Flight Eagle is here to stay. They are for patients, not for profit. If you want a membership of $59 a year for the whole family, lifeflighteagle.org, lifeflighteagle.org, the phone number 888-888-601-4913. And now I leave you with this thought from Albert Einstein, the one who follows the crowd to usually get no further than the crowd. The one who walks alone is likely to find himself in places no one has ever been. Remember, friends, it's a funny thing about life. If you refuse to accept anything but the very best, you most often get it. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate. Goodbye, America. America. America.